If you would turn to 1 John, please. And I'll turn with you. I'm breaking in a new Bible here. These are tough to break in. As Vernon spoke to you, <clears throat> we are going to talk about holiness today. And I think that I'm going to be able to give you an impression of holiness that you perhaps have not had before. Many of us have been the victim of some pretty bad teaching on holiness because preachers get all revved up. And they make holiness some sort of monkey bar that you climb and do exercise on and, and some sort of uh, unbelievable feat that very few of us can do. Let me first of all talk about the seriousness of holiness. And then let me talk about the way of holiness. First John, starting with verse 5. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, have, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Now, isn't it, you notice how the Bible is not pulling any punches here? This is the third time that says anybody who says they're not they're not sinning, you're you're in big time trouble here. First, you're a liar. Then you're making him a liar. You know, this is just not pulling any punches. We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, look, he comes as a father here, John, writing the words of God, my little children. I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation, the full payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. And by this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says... I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. That's a fourth time it said that. I'm getting offended. I don't know about you. This truth is not in him. And the truth is not in him, it says. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought also to walk in the same manner as he, that's a capital H, Jesus, walked. Okay. 
let me talk first about holiness and how, you know, Vernon said it. He said, we're going to talk about holiness. That's a frightening concept. And it is a frightening concept because most of us realize how far away we are from that. This 50-day adventure we're on, I hate this thing. Because you've got to chart your progress on your, on your uh, for those of you who are doing it. For those of you, you're, you can still get on it. There's little booklets out, out there. Go ahead, terrorize yourself. Go ahead, punish yourself. It's a wonderful experience. No, there's a chart about um, the, the self-destructive, what's that called, JT? Self-destructive what? Tendency, thank you. The self-destructive tendency that we all practice. And, and many of us have different, one, different ways that we destroy ourselves. And so I put mine down and I'm charting this thing. And it's, and it's doing this, you know? And I, I went out of here last week all fired up, going to do a secret work of love. Just secret, just, just, I was going to sit down and plan that thing out and it was going to be so neat somebody would have to praise God for it. You think I did that? What a jerk. I stood, I didn't do that. I mean, I, I did a couple of things spontaneously here and there, but not the big deal I want. Well, I'm a jerk. Guess what? We all are. Because we have this tendency in us that is evil and will always be in us. There will always be the tendency to be sinful. In, in Romans 7.21, it says it, very well. Paul is struggling. Now Paul, remember, is a Pharisee. He wants to do everything right. You've, you've met compulsive people before, haven't you? You might be a compulsive person. You don't want to do anything unless you can do it well. Well, that's the way Paul was. And so think of what it was like when he met the Lord Jesus Christ and for the first time could say, I'm not perfect and I can't do it on my own. Think of what that was like for him. Well, years into being a Christian, he still didn't want to admit it. He was still trying to do it. And in the seventh chapter of Romans, he's, he's throwing himself against a wall. And he's saying, I've got this thing I'm trying to quit. I can't quit it. I do the very thing I hate. And the more I hate it, the more I do it. And he comes to the conclusion in verse 21. Look, it says, I find then the principle now, a principle is something that's pretty universal to all people, isn't it? I find then the principle that evil is present in me, <clears throat> the one who wishes to do the good. Therefore, <clears throat> when I start talking about holiness, I know that there are all kinds of us who are going, oh, come on. I have failed too many times to talk about holiness. Let's talk about goodness in moderation. You know, <clears throat> let's talk about getting better step by step. You know, whip on the self-improvement platitudes. But let's not talk about holiness. Well, I can't help but it says in here to talk about holiness. And so we're going to talk about holiness. Now, all of us have habits in our lives right now that are destroying us. Many of us have 
habits that we've had for a long time. Some of us have habits that we did not know or did not realize were wrong because we live in a culture that is so permissive, we don't understand how those things can destroy us yet until we really come to look at the Lord. The elders were talking last week. We, I tell you what, the, 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 the sin that is brought to us that destroys lives so often is sexual sin. I mean, there are so many people in other people's beds, in beds they shouldn't be in, that we're just, we stand amazed. We're absolutely amazed. But yet we shouldn't be because we live in a culture where that's all anybody talks about. That's all that's advertised on TV. It's all around us. Everything is young and bouncy, and that's what's supposed to be real great. And so, and the, and the, the relationships that we see being destroyed are destroyed because earlier they got things out of, con- out of sequence. You know, there are sequences to develop a healthy relationship. And if you get things out of sequence, then the relationship itself suffers. When I talk to people before they get married, I talk about sexuality. And even if they have been sexually intimate already, I say quit it. You've got stuff out of sequence because you know what sexuality does? Sexuality is such a powerful dynamic in our life that it skews everything to revolve around itself. That's the way fights are resolved and that's the cause for resolving fights in a relationship that is bound around that singular dynamic. And in every Every relationship I have ever seen that got things out of order, that got that put that tried to put the spirit last instead of the spirit first, or that tried to delve into a physical relationship before God said it's okay, that relationship has been doomed to shallowness and to destruction in many, many ways until there has been abject repentance. It's just the way it works. Now look, I don't want you to hear any, you don't hear any condemnation coming out of this mouth. There ain't any condemnation. I know myself, I've got other stuff I'm worried about for my life. And so I'm no one to be standing up here condemning you for anything. There's no condemnation. I'm on your side. And I'm telling us all together that holiness is a sequence It's getting things in proper order so that you can love. We're on your side. Got to quit it. Got to stop destroying yourselves. Now, how do you do that? You say, gosh, Hunter, you know, I've I've got this life and it's already pretty wrecked. I mean, I've already kind of gone through some stuff and and I'm not sure I'd ever be able to get it right again. Yes, you can. Here's the good news. There is nothing that is not able to be made perfect by God. Absolutely nothing. Now, there are consequences for how we've acted. And and we can't avoid those consequences. I mean, it's, you know, they're there. But even the consequences can be made perfect by God. And that is a part 
of what holiness is all about. Holiness is not about rules and regulations. Holiness is not about acting better than anybody else or even acting good. That's not about holiness is training your life to love God so that you can love everyone else, including yourself. Holiness is training in priorities. You say, well, how do you do that? I don't understand how you do that. Let me give you a concept this morning that you've never connected with holiness, I bet. Maybe you have. If you have, it's great. Because it's the only thing that will get you through the process. The concept is grace. I mean, Vernon stood up here this morning and said, well, before we get to holiness, let's talk about grace. I need grace before I get to holiness. Let me tell you something. We need grace during holiness. As a matter of fact, the only way we will ever be holy is by God's grace. You know what? Christians think that grace, this unmerited favor of God, is just something that gets us out of the eternal punishment for our sins. Grace is so much more powerful than that. Grace is the very dynamic that helps us face who we are because we give ourselves the time, we give ourselves the space, we put things in perspective. There's no way that compulsive people can put things in perspective without knowing what grace is. You know why I kid around so much up here? I know it irritates some of you. And I know you think, well, you know, the guy, I know he means well, but he's always telling jokes. Humor connotes and communicates grace. Humor communicates grace. It says, no matter how bad things get, there's always a side that is not so bad. No matter how bad everything seems, there is a perspective that can put it all in its minor role. Look, I don't care what you've done with your life up to this point. I don't care if you have sinned so much as to destroy other people. You'll pay for that. I mean, that's, there are consequences to that. And there isn't anybody who ever gets off with that kind of life. I mean, there are, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he weep. Look, I'm not worried about that part of it. God's going to take care of that part of it. I'm just saying to you, don't think that you've ruined it. Don't think you've blown it. Because God can take any life and make it holy and perfect unto himself. You know how? By us not believing that everything depends on our behavior. Now it does take some effort from us. It really does. There's no Holiness does not come naturally because of our very nature. Holiness does not come naturally. But it doesn't take ability. It just takes effort. There is no way you can ever fail when you are attempting holiness. No way. Did you, you, you have children, most of you, many of you. Is when any of those children have been earnestly trying 
to please you. Say they were making something for you. And they spent all afternoon making something for you. And they came and it fell apart. What happened? They fall apart. But what happens to your heart? Did that kid fail? Absolutely not. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It is the effort that they spent for you that is the gift to you. That's, see, that's how God is. There's no way we can fail in holiness if we make the effort. We are so hung up in America on ability. And am I as holy as this person? Or can I do this like this person does? That has nothing to do with anything. They did a survey about four years ago, an educational survey of Japanese mothers and American mothers. Now listen to this. They asked those mothers, these mothers all had school children. They asked the mothers, what was the most important quality for academic success in school? The American mothers overwhelmingly said ability. The Japanese mothers overwhelmingly said effort. All you need to do is try. That's all you need to do. Keep trying and you will be successful. It's that way with holiness. Now, <clears throat> here's the way it works. When you try, God's grace lifts you beyond where you could ever go. Let me give you what to me is the perfect illustration of this absolutely true story. When I was six years old, I went for the first time. Now, I lived in a little dinky town, and nothing big ever came to Shelby, Ohio. But in Cleveland, which was about, you know, 70 miles away, big things came. Well, we weren't, we weren't a wealthy family. We couldn't go to very much big. But for some reason, my aunt and uncle, and there, I think they had five or six kids. I can't remember. I could name them for you. I can't remember how many there were. But anyhow, at the time, they got tickets to go to the ice capades. Remember the ice capades? I had never seen anything like that in my life. We went in this huge auditorium. In that day, it was huge. Probably seated 6,000 people. It was filled to the brim. And somehow, my uncle got these tickets that were like in the fifth row. Well, I walked in there, and, you know, you talk about Mr. Hayseed. I'm going, this is really something. I go down there, I'm sitting on two on the gum, you know, waiting for the show. The gum lost its flavor. So I go, stuck it under the seat. Felt a little guilty, knew I shouldn't do that, but I didn't. It lost its flavor. What am I going to do? I mean, I don't want to go out. I don't want to miss anything. And here they come. Oh, they were the most gorgeous costumes. Feathers, you know, went up like this and sequins. And, oh, it was absolutely beautiful. I was spellbound for about 10 minutes. I couldn't believe it. And then you know what happens in the mind of a little kid. A little kid never is just a spectator. He wants to participate. Now wait, now don't get ahead of the story here. <laughs> Let me tell this story. 
So in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, when I get big, I'm going to do that. You know? And my, my feet were already kind of going like this or here on the floor, you know? <laughs> but then, the realistic side of me, and I had a realistic thought side, even at, at six years old, I'm thinking, I can't do that. That's been, that takes hours there gliding along and so on and so forth. They are so good and so beautiful. But wouldn't it be neat just to be, you know how you do when you, when you hear a song, don't you, don't you do this? You kind of pretend you're singing it in front of all these people. Do you ever do that? Does anybody do that besides me? Please say you do. Please. Even if you don't, go like this. Thank you. Anyhow, you kind of, you see yourself, you know, putting on a concert someday and, and, uh, so that's how I was with this. I, I saw myself skating and then, but then I knew, I probably, I ne- probably never would. Probably never would. And then, you know what I did? I got mad at them. I got angry at them. Because I thought they were just out showing off and they weren't so hot. And, and uh, But I really want... Well, anyhow. Cut to the quick. I'd never seen one of these shows before. I didn't know that it was a part of the show. Halfway through the show, this guy skates out of the line or whatever it is and comes over to the side and points straight at me and goes like this. My first thought is, oh, I can remember, literally, oh my God, he saw me stick the gum under the thing. First thought. Honest to goodness. I thought I'm nailed, I'm going to get thrown out in front of 6,000 people. Why did he have to do it in the middle of the show? I was terrified. I got up, went over to the aisle, went down there, and he picked me up. And he skated with me all over that ice. So here I am, going like this. Everybody going. Six thousand heaven. I mean, after the first two seconds when I got uh, not wanting to throw up anymore, I was. I loved it. I loved it. Waving at people through absolutely no ability of my own. I knew what it was like to have the grace to glide and entertain. Now, forget the entertainment part of it. Let's come back to the concept of holiness. The first time God comes to us and we feel Him pointing at us, what do we do? Right? I didn't mean the gum. I didn't mean the gum. Or whatever. Whatever we've done. You know, that's what we think He wants. That's what we associate with holiness. He's going to nail us. And indeed... Through the conviction inside, we do get nailed. But that's not what he wants. That's not why he came over. He wants to pick us up. And beyond any ability we have, or we think we ever could have, he wants to carry us into holiness. Leaning on God, And Him only is our holiness. 
And all kinds of wonderful things happen when we realize that it is not us, but God, who is the one who teaches us and gifts us for holiness, that intimacy with Him. Second um, Timothy one nine, it's it's wrong in the bulletin. Says, talks about the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. Think of that. Let that sink in for a minute. Imagine you as the little child, you know, in an ice skating rink and God skates over, who saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works. I can't skate. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. God has a plan for your life. And if you will make the effort to follow Him, that plan will be perfected. Absolutely perfected. Not according to your abilities, but according to your effort to lean on Him and according to His ability. Now holiness, just one more point, then I want to pray. Holiness, when we make the effort, has an effect on all of our lives. Holiness is not something that you chart. Behavior is something that you chart. Holiness is something that absolutely surprises you about your own character. You don't notice it because God's doing it and you haven't accomplished it. But you do realize it after it's happened. And it opens up areas for you that you have not had opened up before. For example, your understanding of Scripture. When you make the effort... To put your, your life in the hands of God and let Him do whatever He wants to with it, your understanding of Scripture will be revolutionized. You know, when we get down and we say, <clears throat> you know, okay, God, I want to be good. Just, just teach me the Scripture and I'll follow it. And we're in our own effort. We have blockages. We can't understand it. Because we're trying to understand it out of the flesh. The natural doesn't understand the spiritual. But when we begin to sequence our relationship with God, and that's what holiness is, you can't be intimate with God until you make the effort of holiness. You can't. God, God does not um, draw near to sin. And so therefore... That grace, as we go along our life, is a way of sequentially getting deep with God. And that's what holiness is. That's the effort of holiness. So anyhow, what happens is, every other area of your life is opened up. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's a paradox. You think that in order to get holy, you have to understand Scripture. It works just the other way. You make the effort of getting close to God, and Scripture will be revealed to you. That's how that works. I, uh, well, I'll tell you what. Let me show you. Uh, turn to Second, Second Chronicles. Let me Chronicles. This is an analogy to how that works. Second Chronicles, chapter 34. 
Are we running late? We are running late. Ah, never mind. You need to know this. Second Chronicles chapter 34. It's the story of Josiah. Let me just skip through a few verses here for you. And let me show you what happened in Josiah's life. And this is, an, like I said, an, an analogy. Much of the Old Testament is a picture of the New Testament and what can happen in your life. For in the eighth year of his reign, this is the third verse, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father David. That's holiness. That's righteousness. Just beginning to seek. All right? And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. The high places were places in which people worshipped false gods. So it took him four years even to get in his brain. Don't feel bad that you're not making all this progress if you're not. It took him four, it took this guy four years even to realize he had to weed some of the stuff out of his life before he would ever get to the place where he was honoring God and feel close to God. And then in verse 8 it says, Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land, it took another six years just to get that, that surface stuff out of his life. Six years. But it says, Then he began to repair the house of the Lord his God. You not only got to throw out the bad stuff, you got to feed it with good stuff. Repair the house of the Lord his God. Now look what happened when he repaired that house. Verse 14. Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And then verse 30, it tells how it ends. And the king read in their hearing all the words the, of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of the Lord. Now let me tell you what happened. And what will happen in, in our lives. When we lean on God and when we follow Him to the point we are weeding out of our lives stuff that we know God doesn't want. And putting into our lives stuff we know God does want. We are going to rediscover Scripture. It's going to come alive. It's in there. The Scripture's in there. If you've been reading it, it's in there. But it lays dormant. Because there's so much crud on top of it. If we are like Josiah, and just make the effort, just make the effort to follow God. And it's an effort in which we cannot fail. Remember that. Because God's grace picks us up and carries us the rest of the way. Then, even Scripture will come alive in a way it never has. That's the way God works. That's how it is in a relationship. That's how it is with him. Would you pray with me? Lord, in our best moments, we want to be like Jesus. But in our worst moments, we think that we were crazy in our best moments. We think that's not real life. Not realizing that it is in our worst moments that our vision is perverted. And we have not the right perspective. Give us our best moments. <laughs> Let us sit there like kids watching fascinated how you are before us. And how adequate you are 
And then let us hear your call. And then let us feel your grace. We want closeness. But we also want purity so that we can stop destroying our lives and stop destroying the lives of the people around us. But mostly so that we can love you in the way that you deserve to be loved. In the way that Jesus our Lord loved you. We pray this in his name. Amen.